0: Welcome, everybody. This is Jenny Rudolph, the executive director of the Center for Medical Simulation. And I'm here today to talk about a challenge so many of us face, which is how to handle guess what I'm thinking questions. It's one of the most common approaches to debriefing and giving feedback, and I'm here with some colleagues from our educator training course here at the Center for Medical Simulation to kind of talk about this dilemma with me. I'm here with uh, Sean Grant. Hi Sean.
1: Uh, Hi, how are you doing Jean?
0: Good. Tell us a little about where you're from.
1: As you said, I'm Sean and I'm a general pediatrician from Gisborne in New Zealand.
0: And I'm also here with Kelly Rushanelsky. Kelly, tell us a little bit about you. Absolutely, happy to be here.
2: So I am the inaugural simulation fellow. I am an emergency medicine physician at the University of Alabama at Birmingham with the Office of Interprofessional Simulation for Innovative Clinical Practice.
0: Great. Well, I'm so glad to have you both here and and really delighted to have this chance to talk about something that's kind of near and dear to my heart, which is how do we learn about the challenges and promises and perils, perhaps, of guess-what-I'm-thinking questions. And the idea for this uh, conversation came to me after Sean and I were chatting at dinner the other night. And Sean, you mentioned that you were kind of shocked when you had a kind of wonderful debriefing but got some little bit spicy peer feedback from Kelly. (laughs) And uh, I thought, wow, this could be a great opportunity for us all to learn from your experience. So Kelly and Sean, I'm I'm thinking where we could kind of start is almost like an instant replay. Sean, you were the instructor and Kelly was a participant in your case, which involved uh, managing a patient in PEA arrest. Go ahead and sort of reenact what happened there.
1: Sure, yes. To frame it a little bit more, we'd we'd run a scenario. The situation was that postless electrical activity. Kelly was the participant. And I started off with my advocacy inquiry question and, and said to Kelly, hey, Kelly, you know, I noticed in the scenario that it took about eight minutes before the first dose of epi was given. You, know, you did ask for it at two minutes, but it took eight minutes to get there. You know, I think giving epi really early is what improves patient outcomes, and I am interested in your thought.
2: Well, when I went to reach for the epinephrine, the second drawer of the crash cart that had all the medications wouldn't open, so I couldn't get to the medications.
1: Okay. How did that slow change things for you?
2: Well, I. Took a little bit longer to open up the crash card and get to the epi.
1: Right, so slowed you down, you know, pitfall in, in sort of your place of practice. Can you think of any other pitfalls in your place of practice, you know, things that could slow you down?
2: Like what?
1: Well, anything really, you know, you know what are some of the things that can slow you down?
2: I don't understand
1: what you're asking. Uh, okay, cool. So we'll change tack a little bit, you know, and just wonder if, you know, if you could talk us through the... PEA algorithm, so talk through the, the process, what you were thinking.
2: You want me to talk through the ACLS protocol?
1: Yeah, I think that would be good so that everybody in the group sort of understands that.
0: Okay. So I'm thinking that's kind of where you guys got to maybe a little bit further. What I heard from Sean was that you then had a debriefing of the debriefing that surprised him a bit and kind of maybe, I don't know if it's too strong to say, Sean shook you up a little. Mm. Before we go there, let me just ask you, Sean, what I think is interesting and important here is you probably had good intentions and were trying to do something. And I suspect that the impact on Kelly was perhaps different from what you intended. So let's just start with, what were you trying to accomplish?
1: As you said, Jenny, I got really quite shocked at the feedback because you know we talked on the course about being curious about what your learners were thinking and you know, wanting to understand stuff. And I was genuinely curious about what other things Callie might see in her place of practice that could trip her up. You know, the things that could slow things down and maybe even stuff that she had experienced in the past you know, that could slow the process down. So that was kind of the intent behind the question. Mm. I was genuinely surprised when she couldn't think of anything.
0: So in a certain way, it sounds like you, you know, your intentions were good. Your heart was in a right place. Yet, Kelly, uh, I'm looking at your body language a little here as we've been talking, and I get the impression it did not land that well on you. So can you tell us a little bit about that?
2: When I got that question initially in our debrief, I felt like he was hinting at something else, and I didn't know what answer he wanted me to give. It was so broad. What other things can trip you up? A thousand things could trip me up. What is it that you want to talk about?
0: When I saw you answering, there was kind of an expression on your face. WTF might be a little too strong, but... It seemed like you not only didn't know what he was talking about, this is my inference entirely, but I almost sensed some frustration. I'm not sure. Help me out there.
2: Yes. Yeah, so I, especially with this coming kind of right after an issue in clinical practice of you want to give epinephrine within two minutes of a PEA arrest, and that didn't happen in our simulation. And so I'm sort of of the perspective internally reflecting wow, that's really frustrating, but I encountered a physical obstacle Yeah, um, that in a sense was almost a defect of the sim. I've never had a crash cart not open appropriately in my clinical practice. And so I was a little frustrated that that was being used as a teaching point when I felt it wasn't actually a reflection on my practice because there was an obstacle that
0: occurred. Yeah. Something landed on you in a certain way, and then there was the request to um, walk him through the the ACLS PEA algorithm. We could sort of fast forward a little, and you could just tell us a little bit about the feedback that you gave Sean after that.
2: Sure. So afterwards, I told Sean that I had to admit I surprised myself with how frustrated I felt during the debriefing. I was a little surprised at my own emotions that came out. Mm. But I felt incredibly put on the spot as if he was testing me to tell this entire group of very newly met peers to show my knowledge of ACLS, Mm. which did not feel good
0: to me. So, Sean, as I mentioned, our dinner conversation, you said her feedback to you was very surprising. So tell us a little bit about how that landed on you.
1: I think probably the biggest impact that it had was more around the sense of frustration and the strong emotion. Kelly and I talked even after the debriefing about how oh my goodness we've both done this in our actual practice and you know used debriefing as a teaching tool and for people to teach and try and pull knowledge out of out of people and that, and I think that was the, the biggest thing reflecting on that actually The debriefing is not necessarily the place to do that in the way that we have necessarily done it before. Mm. So, yeah.
2: What I thought was so interesting is when we were debriefing our debrief, A question was asked to Sean, Sean, what were you trying to do? And when he explained it, that he said, oh, Kelly's an emergency medicine physician. This is something she does every day. She is probably going to be a better uh, content expert to teach my group And so what he was trying to do was to kind of hand me the ball to do some teaching and discussion to make sure we all left the room with a good understanding of the ACLS algorithm for PEA, but I completely interpreted it in an entirely different way.
1: And the reframing for for me after that was, hey, it's okay to do that, but if I'd put that on the table and said, hey, Kelly, you're an expert in this, you've got more knowledge in this and do this more often, can you share your knowledge with the group so that everyone is on the same level? it would have fallen a lot better on you than the way I did it. Absolutely.
0: So I just think this is such a wonderful, amazing example of how benign intention on your part, Sean, to actually give Kelly a chance to shine and demonstrate her clinical knowledge as an emergency medicine physician, when couched in a naked inquiry with no disclosure of your goals or intentions, can have the exact opposite impact than you wish. And so I think that's the very interesting thing about hidden judgment in feedback or hidden judgment in debriefing, what the organizational scholar Chris Argyris calls easing in, which is where we sort of sidle up to the subject but don't really reveal our own thinking. Since this is so common and so many of us struggle with it, I really, really appreciate you both taking the time to share this journey with us. Let me just ask you, you know, in the spirit of debriefing, what are your kind of takeaways at this point about this process?
2: I, as soon as we were discussing it, realized that not the Thursday before I flew down here on Sunday, had done this to one of my learners and asked them to walk me through the various designations of sepsis. And it was a huge light bulb for me in order to not make my learners or students feel the way that I had just felt in that debriefing.
1: I guess I echo what Kelly has just said, that you know it's it's important to teach and to fill knowledge gaps, but we need to be transparent about why we're doing that and how we're doing that and what the intent behind it. So use the the advocacy inquiry things so that people understand exactly why we're doing it so that they don't feel in the dark about the intent.
0: Fantastic. Well, thank you both so much for your time. It was great talking to you. Thanks so much. Happy to be here.